Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Aaron Steele. Aaron is a melting pot of creativity whose Rolodex of influences includes everything from hardcore to jazz to singer-songwriter to R&B to electronica to funk to pop and back again. Don't you dare put Aaron in a box. Aaron's resume includes Portugal the Man, Haley Williams of Paramore, Peter Bradley Adams, Chrome Sparks, Jose James, and of course, many more. Our chat went well over two hours, so I consolidated it just a bit, and we'll be jumping in right as we get into the topic of comparing yourself to other players, something that Aaron does not do, before eventually dissecting the top five, it's actually top six, moments that shaped Aaron's style. As to be expected, Aaron's choices are not expected, and they're very impactful, and I'm really excited to dive deeper into all the artists he talks about. You can find all the songs referenced and played in this episode in a Spotify playlist. Just search for Big Fat Five Podcast dash Aaron Steele. You can check the spelling in the title of this episode that you just clicked on. Please enjoy my conversation with the ever unique and talented Aaron Steele. myself to people um i don't compare other people to other people uh as far as like um musicality goes i don't i don't i don't believe the thing that we do is not you can't be an expert at being a great musician or in any creative pursuit there's like no there's no way that that can happen you can be uh what I like to call a sage, a person who has like a lot of experience or and history, mm-hmm. but your journey is not going to be the same as anybody else's because it's a creative pursuit. It's art. Art is so subjective that, um, like that anybody could tell, like, for example, even this is a really good example. While I was in school, I was not, considered one of the good drummers you know I, I was not like in a position where like people were like really working hard to try and get me to play on their thing but I've continued to be myself throughout the process of making music um, because I really couldn't do anything else so um, w- at a certain point people started to enjoy what I did or like not compare me to other people I think it actually kind of just ended up that way because I was just playing with people that I really loved and uh, they ended up becoming popular somehow mm-hmm. and then that and made me a valuable com- commodity in a very roundabout way <laughs> you know yeah, like, it was like sure it was like oh yeah but then the people who would make fun of me in the past are now being like man you are always great and it was like yo dude like i remember like you know like revisionist history but thanks i appreciate it you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but that yeah but like that at least that's the way i kind of think about it i'm just like yeah it's like some of my favorite drummers aren't drummers sure some of them some of them are songwriters that just play drums on the tune and like their feel is just like so unique to them that it 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 kind of expresses the emotion of the 
subject material of the song mm-hmm. more than any drummer who was just trying to get a groove in could yep. ever do. So I, I, I spend so much time kind of I'm 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 gonna be uh very blunt and very uh I c- I could give a fuck about the drums, honestly, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Like I could give a fuck about the drums. I'm just trying to get my point across sure musically. And I'm really just trying to just kind of like like yes, I like drums, but it's because it was the first in- it was the easiest instrument for me to get into the um to get the emotional um payback of like what I was putting into it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you hit a drum with a stick, it's immediate, you know? If you if if you want to play guitar, you got to learn a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before before you can get to the emotion of it. But with drums, it's immediate and anybody can do it and that's kind of what I um love about it because like people who are like some of my favorite songwriters literally can't really hold a groove ish but what they do actually has kind of created a soundscape that really works for whatever tune they are but that being said i do have favorite drummers <laughs> you know <laughs> which we'll get into no but i mean yeah. i'm i'm with you it's i think a lot of drummers myself including a lot of times can't see the forest for the trees and that's why i've been really uh self-examining what i do in the practice space why am i learning like i've stopped doing like learn this lick you know because it's just then i then i end up using that in some song that doesn't need it because i spent three hours on a friday night on it and um yeah i've been just doing more improvisational playing to drumless tracks and just kind of just improvising for an hour as opposed to and then having my technique dictate what I want it to sound like. I was talking to Dan Mayo last week about he doesn't think of technique as technique. He thinks of techniques as sounds, you know, like yeah, a, yeah. Mo- a molar technique is a different sound for him. He just closes his eyes, doesn't look at what his hand's doing, but technically he is working on technique. He just yeah. doesn't express it that way. Yeah. I but. mean, like for me, it's definitely, I I definitely um, think that I guess on a subconscious level, mm-hmm. I, I I've kind of gotten to the point now where the you know i i barely practice now um but it's mainly because i'm practicing other things like i think that um everything i do outside of the drums influences the drums for me mm-hmm. um i like i over the last year i've been uh producing a lot like of albums for people and songs for people and um that is influencing my drumming so much more, even though like, yeah, I'll play, like normally if I'm working on a track, I'll like play drums. The very first drum take like that I do is usually like, oh yeah, that's good enough to get the thing across. And then I would spend so much time on everything else, you know, like spend it like, oh yeah, making sure that the vibe is right. Like is the emotion like, oh man, is, is that vocal whispery enough? Like I'll, you know, do that, but then then that will recontextualize what I needed need to do on the track. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go back, do one more take, and the drums are done. And it's because um, what influences what I do is the emotional connection to the tune. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, um, but yeah, uh, there, there's that. <laughs> are your takes, when you do the initial take, have you gotten better at producing in real time when you're playing the drums? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, uh, I think I have, uh, 
but I've kind of been of that mindset for a long time, um, mainly because I got a lot of really, uh, they weren't actual lessons. Uh, they were like me getting drunk with people, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, what you got, like people have said some like really big and important things to me, uh, kind of early in my, in my, uh, career and like drinking situation. (laughs) Uh, one of which, uh, weirdly, it's funny. I think he'll think this hilarious if he heard this now. But uh, uh, Sean Pelton, like mm-hmm. I, I used to, I used to hate his playing so much. Was, okay. Like so much. It was cra- I, like I didn't get it. Mm. But then one day it kind of just made sense to me. I, I, I would see him often. Like he was, he used to play at Rockwood all the time, Rockwood Music Hall in New York, mm-hmm. all the time with uh, this guy Teddy Kumpel, who's uh, who's sort of a mentor of mine, um, and. Uh, who's like a super out guitarist is like it's definitely like some he's he's definitely a special dude if anybody checks out his music just check it out but um but um he Pelton played in his band a bunch uh and I finally got it after like weeks of watching him play this gig and then we were we got to talking and one thing that he told me and it blew my mind forever it was literally like he said that when he plays with a singer, he tries to play as as little bass drum notes as possible because it takes up too much space and mm. and it distracts from the vocal. Mm. It's like that was just some, something that he just like dropped out there, and it wasn't something that he was like he wasn't trying to drop knowledge on me. It was just something that he said, and I was just like, put that in my brain, and then you know like I was like, all right, moving forward, let, let's try this out, see if it's cool. And then another person who said something to me was, um, I, I don't know if you know who Mark Steppro is. I do. I was actually just, just talking to him. Yeah. Oh, sick. Yeah. He said, he like told me a long time ago, he said like, and actually I just hit him up like maybe like a month ago about this because I don't think he remembered, but he literally told me like that, like one day just like, he was like, yeah, man, you know, like everybody's playing all this stuff, you know, like I, I don't, I don't, I can't do that. And I don't think I want to do that. So like, all I can do is just like make stuff feel as good as possible. And what you got, uh, you know, serve the song as much as I can. And I was just like, okay. And you know, like 20 year old me is like, I was like, that's so fucking deep. <laughs> you know, you know? You start crying you just hug yeah, him yeah. yeah yeah no i mean i probably did because i was maybe i was i was a little drunk but i hug <laughs> i hug i hug everyone so sure sure um in general um on, on, you know, it's a uh, uh, covid's been hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah no mark uh, actually shared a space with uh with matt johnson for a while yeah yeah and yeah. uh i took a few lessons with with matt and yeah he kind of had a similar thing where he's like the notes you play the most of should be the quietest so the hi-hats should be the quietest, the bass drum should be the loudest. If you're just in the room, you know, and mixing yourself, that's a good bass line. And even something that simple was like, holy shit, you're right. Yeah, you know, dude, I mean, like, you know, like whenever he said anything to me at <laughs> yeah. that time, especially, you know, like, like he's not someone who would garner a bunch of praise in modern drummer not to knock out knock on not modern drummer i don't have a problem with them at all but you know like they wouldn't because it, it it's just not sexy to be um it's not sexy to be so into the music 
that you let go of yourself as the star drummer mm-hmm. you know it's like really important like the you know like for as much you know for as much as like credit that i'm getting now for things like there are 8000 people out there that like have like paved the way for me to do the thing that i do and it's literally and like i have no like sometimes i'm just like i don't know why you're talking to me you should be talking to mark or you should be talking to you know like that's how i think of things mainly because that, like you know like they're the people who built who i am mu- musically you know um anyway but that's neither here nor there but when you when you feel overwhelmed and unfocused you know when it comes to studio work or just having way too much on your plate what do you do uh, to get out of that and refocus and, and not be so overwhelmed? Ooh, that's hard. Uh, I get overwhelmed and unfocused a lot because I have very severe ADD. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's something that I actually just found out pretty recently. Mm. So um, I I've been privileged in the sense that because my life. Uh, pre-COVID was so chaotic it actually balanced me out mm. so like I would be flying from one city to the other uh, going across the country for like uh, going to another country for like three days coming back like that was my life pretty regularly and then whenever I didn't you know if, if I was just at home and I had to like get a bunch of stuff done um, like like I did in early COVID like I was losing my mind. I couldn't, you know, balance myself out. But honestly, the thing, the thing that really does it for me, and it's really hard in times like this is, um, I I literally just go out with a friend and just talk about anything else that has anything that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. Sure. And then I, and then that allows me space away. I just take, I just take space away. Mm -hmm. That's from whatever it is that I have to do in order to just like completely forget about it at least for a day maybe maybe an hour you know like just Mm. some time uh that i've completely forgotten about what i have to do and then when i get back to it like i'm able to focus uh in order to do it but that also i'm also privileged that i often don't work on things that i don't like Mm. uh i'm i'm not I've I've worked really hard in my life and career in order to uh, to uh, get calls for various amount of different things, or to make various amount of different things that uh, that just square with what I like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that in turn helps me uh, stay focused on mostly everything I do. Mostly. Uh, I mean, there there are moments, you know. I'm a spaz. Yeah. Well, we all are. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, you definitely deserve it. So I'm happy you've gotten to that place. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, it's fucking, it's weird, but, (laughs) and, uh, that, that scratching you hear is me using a back scratcher on my back. Just so you know, it's (laughs) (laughs) thanks. You're ruining the whole show. 
Um, I know, that's the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's just jump into your, uh, for the sake of time, because I know you're being very generous with your time right now. Um, oh, let's just Let's just jump into your top five. And you actually gave me, I believe, a six. This is the big fat six today. But um, so when I reach out to guests, I usually sometimes suggest a few things kind of to get the ball rolling. And uh, this was one that you put under grooves that change the way you think about music. And you put Transatlanticism by Death Cab for Cutie. Were you talking about the song or just the overall record? Oh, the song. Okay, sweet. I mean, the overall record, yes, but uh, mm-hmm. but uh, the song uh, really fucked me up for a while. Sure. Um, like a good while. It was. Um, I mean, if if you ask like anybody who knew me at that time. Um, well, at the time that I heard it, I heard it a few years after it came out. Um, but it was pretty uh, instrumental in my life because uh, the fact that he was just playing, uh, what is it, eighth notes? or I mean, depending on how you count. Sure. Uh, I was like, oh, quarter notes. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the fact that he was playing something so simple and it was like adding to the emotional depth of the song the whole time. Mm-hmm. I literally played every gig for the next year and a half trying to make every note just a quarter note or an eighth note. Like never like like I have a good friend, Kyle McCammon. He's a bass player and producer in L.A. I love Kyle. And, yeah. Yeah. And he literally. um he was w- with me throughout basically every gig that I played. I was just like, all right, let's just fucking do only like every note I play is just going to be a quarter note or it's going to be like an eighth note. So like kick, snare, kick, snare, floor tom, snare. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah. like I was trying to, I was working so hard. How do I make that musical? You know? Because like as much space, you know, space is like, space is so important. And that record, it, it was it wasn't the thing that showed me that, but it was like the thing that got me so into it, that, that I wanted to dedicate like a lot of time to that. And thanks, Jason, I I appreciate that, dude. <laughs> yeah, of course, Jason McGurr on drums. Um, have have you become friendly with Jason? Yeah, we both. Um, we met because we both played on a. I I used to be in this band called Fences. Mm. Uh, long story there, but what you got? Uh, but we both we both played on the second album uh, by said Fences, and we met while I was making the record, the rest of the record with Chris Walla, who was previously of Death Cab. And he was the uh, producer on like half of the record. And we both, and Mark Giuliano was doing a, a clinic in Seattle went where I was. Uh, and uh, like I texted Mark, I was like, yo, you're in town. And I was like, so I, we went with um, Greg Keplinger. Me, Jason, Greg Keplinger. But uh, we all went to see Mark uh, do his clinic. Um, and uh and um, that's where me and Jason got, like we met, and then we've been friends kind of since. Uh, and it was it's cr- crazy to me because like I've I had to tell him one day and just be like, dude, you know, you changed my life, you know. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to n- uh, meet the drummers that uh, 
that I've been able to do that. There's uh, uh, Matt Chamberlain. I've told the story on the podcast. Matt Chamberlain goes to my gym in L.A. Oh, sick. I, ha- I haven't had the the guts to walk. I mean, like, you don't walk up to someone at the gym, you know, like when he's putting weights down. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but I want to be like, hey, you're cool. And then just like run away, you know. But um, Dude, I did that to Brian Blade. It was, it was really <laughs> well, funny. Well, there you go. <laughs> How do you react? Um, okay. Uh, there's a, there needs to be a little setup to this. Good. Uh, I was playing at SF Jazz with Chris Bowers, who uh, now is uh, Academy Award winning Chris Bowers, which is so out, because he did, um, he scored Green Book, and oh, uh, he's doing Space Jam right now. Uh, there's a, he's up for an Oscar right now, because Ava DuVernay made a short film about him and his grandfather. <laughs> it's like, it's like a whole thing. Anyway. That's sick. But uh, I was playing with him, we were playing in a small room, and in the big room, uh, uh, rest in peace. Chikorea was playing with uh, Brian Blade and uh, Christian McBride, and uh, it, at SF Jazz, there's a shared green room basically. Um, and we were all having they were all having dinner. We were having dinner, and I w- like I had met Chick before because um, a friend of mine a- had played with him on and off, um, and and. Christian, I had met uh, maybe once or twice, but I'd never met Blade at that point. And uh, he's a really big, big one for me. Mm. And I was one of the few times I've ever been starstruck in my life. And anyway, I didn't talk to him at all. And then I got into the elevator and then he got into the elevator and I was like, all right, here's my shot. And I was like, "Um, hey, sir. Mr. Blade, uh, thank you for everything you've done. Uh, I really appreciate it. You changed my life. And I tried to walk out of the elevator, <laughs> but it got stuck. Of course, yeah. And then, and I was like, oh man, uh, super awkward. And he was just like, hey man, what's up? I, I'm Brian. Nice to meet you, man. Like, and he just started talking to me. And I was like, I just couldn't deal. Anyway, <laughs> then I then I had to play my set. And then I saw him in the back come in and just start listening. And I was just like, dude, this is intense. Because it was also the first time that I had played quote unquote jazz in years. So, and I was playing at SF Jazz with somebody who I consider one of the best jazz pianists currently. So, like, it was um, scary for me. And then uh, afterwards, he's like, man, you sound great, blah, blah. He started talking, you know, whatever. But it was, it was one of those things where um, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, uh, and, and I, uh, and I ran away from him in straight into a door. That's basically what happened. <laughs> but yeah, well, I would I would say hi to Matt, and then he would see me lift, like struggle with a ten pound weight, and that that's, yeah. that would be my story. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna avoid that at all costs. But um, uh, so I, I will segue into the 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 Brian Blade, uh, one of your picks. But let's just play uh, Transatlanticism. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a little bit of it, which is yeah, half the song is again just Jason just kind of doing what you were talking about. So. I'll just start it. Yeah, I didn't know if you were going to talk about that part or kind of the 
uh, you know, subway kind of echoey thing at the beginning. They're both cool. I mean, everything no, Jason does in that record is amazing. Dude, but. no, that, yeah, that thing in the beginning. I mean, that, you know, that, like I said, that record has been highly influential in me. That song has uh, very much influenced the way I play in general. But mm-hmm. um, even, even though you probably wouldn't even really hear that, but, <laughs> but. yeah. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye but all right well yeah let's let's segue into um this is out of order. I'm not sure if you gave it to me in any particular order, but let's just Doesn't go. Doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. This is Overshadow Hill Way by Wayne Shorter. And this is uh, from, the, from the record Beyond the Sound Barrier from 2005. And yeah, oh it's, it's Brian Blade on drums. Um, so let me just, since we already kind of started talking about Brian, let's just, I'll, I'll, I'll play the section of the song that you were referencing. So mm-hmm. it's going into the solo section around two minutes. And then, and then we'll talk some more about Mr. Blade. Best part is when when he starts to lay out. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's crazy how good it is. Actually, just let it play sure. until he. Ah. Uh. I mean, dude, he's not doing much, but he's speaking. That's what it is. 
to play with that much intention and have that low level of dynamics is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, well, there's a moment when the piano comes in, it happens after this section. there that one thing too oh uh, uh god oh uh. so disgusting you can't see it but my face is making crazy faces <laughs> right now but like that moment that, well, that whole that whole section that you know like that whole everything we just listened to mm-hmm. l- like hugely changed my life like the first time i heard it because like uh i didn't understand I understood what improvisation was, but I didn't understand until I heard that. Because like, that's a tune that I know, but they were like vaguely quoting it and like kind of creating, expanding upon it. And then like the way, the space that Blade was using, you know, using in in that, like, and then they're just like throwing in rhythms in order to express whatever he was expressing. You could hear him grunting throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing. Yeah. Like the, 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 all of that just shows me that he meant everything he was playing. And that's, you, 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 you coined it earlier, intention is everything. It's everything. Like if you're just, li- you're, if you're just playing on default, People will hear it, you know, if you intend to care, if you're playing because you care about what you're doing and you're playing notes because you because you really want to make the music better and because you're trying to just like do the best thing for for everyone involved and emotionally for yourself on top of that, that all matters and it gets transferred through what you're doing like it and and i don't care if it's a recording i don't care if it's a pop tune i don't care if it's whatever like like if you are doing it with the intention of being true to yourself and to the music it's it's always going to translate it's always gonna man i'm sorry like to go on that tangent but that's like ah no you could you could watch brian on mute and having never heard him play and you'd be like oh i bet that guy's killing it right now yeah, you know. dude. Actually, a really good moment. Um, I uh, I'm I'm pretty good friends with John Coward, who's like a, who who's in the fellowship with Blade. Mm. And slightly after the SF Jazz story that I told you, like uh, I was in New York uh, working on a record with somebody, and I just happened to be like uh, in town and I like hit up John. I was like, yo, like, let's go grab a drink or something. He was like, actually like, Hey man, I'm in the studio right now, but you should just come over. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, man. And I went over and he was working on like a record, his, his a record with, uh, blade. Um, what you got? Tony share, uh, Steve Cardenas. Um, 
and himself yeah and i fr- and anyway but i came in like mid take and it was like maybe like one of the most amazing things that i ever heard and then nobody else was there like visiting i was just like and i was just like what is going on and then then uh, what you got uh everybody they finished the take they were coming in the tune the take was playing over the speakers everybody else was ordering thai food but blade was like listening as intently as possible and like dancing around the room just being like in completely immersed in the music completely and until the take was done and then he turned around and was like guys i think that one's it and everybody was just like writing down their orders you know like not to say that they weren't like in in the music while they were playing it but he's like so in it that it he can't do anything else until he until he expresses whatever he needs to express about the music it's a, it's actually like so deep <laughs> sorry maybe they just trust him enough they're like we know that brian's listening and so we're gonna order thai food if brian says it's okay it's a good take you yeah know? Pro- yeah i mean that's it's probably true did he recognize you did you guys you know hey i was the guy from the elevator yeah yeah he did he did um uh he's a very present human being that is uh i aspire to be that way sometimes i forget um uh sometimes i forget um not not people but i i forget names and like he he at least in that experience he didn't forget my name you're like remembered which is kind of crazy but anyway that being said like um that that was a that was that was definitely like a special like that was that was a masterclass in intention mm-hmm. <laughs> you know sure yeah Oof. so deep yeah anyway um all right well just for the sake of time i mean i i, I don't ever want to cut people off on like talking about these things but uh let's just move on if, if that's yeah, okay yeah, go ahead, yeah. um, so <laughs> we'll just go to hold tight uh by the band change yeah. And the album's Miracles from 1981. And that is a drummer I've never heard of, so I'm excited to talk about him. But um, Terry Silverlight is on drums. I got Major Stank face over here. <laughs> this is a good record. God, those vocals are so clean. So good. That record messed me up, uh, cause man, Terry Silver, like, um, and the funny thing is that like I haven't I haven't really dug into his stuff, uh, but this record specifically, like I I like I uh, the music that I kind of the scene that I kind of came up in besides like the songwriter scene in New York was kind of like that new disco like Holy Ghost like uh, LCD Sound System. Um, St. Lucia, like those, those bands, um, Twin Shadow, like, you know, like that, that weird indie dance stuff, you know? And, 
everyone was a DJ, like literally everyone. And when I heard this record, my homie Russell was DJing somewhere, a great artist named Rush Midnight. Um, he was DJing somewhere and he played this track and he played this, yeah, basically he played the whole, like there was like a short, it's like a short record. It's kind of long because it's like, every song's like 12 minutes long. But, <laughs> but, um, but uh, he played every track on this record uh, in that DJ set at some point and every song was just like a banger. And it like, actually I got like, that's a big, like that and a lesson that I had with Gadsden years and years ago are like the reason why I play hi-hats the way that I do. It's like, um, it's like, you know, sort of like that weird syncopated kind of like, it, yeah, it's like moving around in between beats with the kit, you know? But it's still yeah. like so pocketed. It's ugh, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually um, took a lesson with, with Gadsden. Yeah, like uh, poof, a long time ago. Uh, I just, I can't even, it was, it was definitely like a decade ago, maybe more. Was it at, at his space in LA? Mm-hmm. It was like, I came, I came to LA to work on some stuff and I, I was like, really deep into Gadsden at the time and still am uh and he like and I saw it like I, I hit him up on Facebook like everybody can which is hilarious and uh and I asked him if I could take a lesson and I did and the one thing that I took away from it it was like you just got to make that hi-hi dance <laughs> and I was like, all right. That's a good impression of him, actually. Yeah. I was like, all right, dude. Yeah. Like, you're right. I didn't get it for a second. But then, like, uh, but then, what you got? Uh, I, I got it a little later. And I'm still, I'm still digging through that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Kissing My Love is uh, that kind oh, of man. swung, not swung 16th note. Uh, it still gets me every time. Dude, I, I was uh, 2019 touring with. Uh, Jose James and we were playing the music of Bill Withers on that tour and I had to play that groove all the time and I was just like still doesn't sound as good as James and that's the only person I'll like compare myself with because I'm playing mm. his groove on that song you know what I mean like that's yeah. the only time where I'll be like you know that's a comparison because it's it's valid in that sense you know like he perfected he perfected it before anybody knew it was perfect you know it's like crazy <laughs> yeah i had him on the show a few months ago and and i was trying to get geeky with him and his hi-hat technique and just in in perfect fashion of like the legends he was just so you just gotta loosen up man make it feel good you know it's like exactly okay, yeah i'm not gonna like, get anything more from you and then i, I and i shouldn't because that's the answer you know yeah, you shouldn't over exactly <laughs> it don't overthink it yeah he was like just gotta make that hi-hat dance it's like all right yeah. Thanks, thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, seriously, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he's a singer. He's a singer, so like that's where yeah. that stuff comes from. Yeah, anyway. I didn't mean to hijack Terry Silverlight's uh, drumming, uh, but it was oh no, just, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, Terry. I mean, the thing is that, like, you know, like he's incredible. Like that record is. I mean, he was. I think he was like 19 when he played on that record. Like I, I, I looked it up at the time. I was like, who is playing on this? And then that change is also Luther Vandross's first group. So that's Luther, Luther Vandross is in there uh, doing the lead stuff uh, whenever it's not the female lead. 
that makes sense because I was like, I don't. Why have I not heard this record? I mean, these people that are working on it are amazing. So it makes sense that all right, there was someone that I would know that was a part of that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So number, I think it's number. It's number four. Uh, it's Flake in parentheses by James Zhu. And can you pronounce this? Uh, Metro Metropole Metropole Orchest. Okay, there you go. Off the album Milkweg from 2019. And you said, uh, when the strings and bass come back in at about two, or sorry, 620 to the end. Yeah. Sorry, not much drums in here. No, I. again, this is kind of what, uh, whatever inspires you, man. This is what I want you to talk about, so... That's so cool, Ooh. man. Man, oh man, uh, I still, I still, there's a couple things in there that I steal uh, pretty often. Um, so like, you know how the, uh, now I'm going to get like sort of, I, mean, I don't count, I don't count anything. So, um, <laughs> so like, you know how like the, once the stuff is like, everything's in the groove is kind of like, boom, boom. Yeah, uh, that's happening. The percussion in the background is doing. Just like, like as like a, like a repeating hemiola or whatever pattern over it. Like I, I do that stuff all the time since like I heard the original version of this track, which is not with the orchestra, but it's literally just like a Over. Can one of the Lincers, listeners please sample what Aaron's doing right now and send it to me? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, man. Woo. And what you got, Jules? Jules Buckley, who's doing the uh, arrangements on that. He is. Uh, woo. That's man. I've only met him once, but it. But, but that that was crazy. Like, uh, but that. But honestly, like James Zoo is one of my favorite producers he like make a full track without any with with basically it sounds like he made an entire track and then pulled everything out of it <laughs> you know it's like except for like the thing that he's trying to focus on sure. it's so good he's so good i should get him on the show oh man i wish like i think he's in i think he's in sweden i'm not sure but he's incredible i've I've never heard of him before this so i'm re i'm really excited to go down that rabbit hole yeah yeah. Oh, so good, man. So good. Yeah, Check the end out of that's very, very classic sounding, but then that that synth makes it super contemporary and futuristic. That's that's creating that pulse. Um, it's a cool blend of a lot of different vibes. Um, check out his. Uh, uh, he has a uh, a YouTube video called uh, from this magazine called Fact Mag. Um, his against the clock. Yeah, yeah, where they have producers like uh, create a track in ten minutes. His is incredible. It's like ch changed 
the way I think about making decisions. Like he's just like does stuff and it's always sick. Even if you think it's like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen here. Oh man, that sounds a little weird. And then at the end, it just comes together. It's like, what just happened? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's incredible. Anyway. No, I'll I'll put that in the show notes. I'll I'll, I'll put that video. Yeah, that's sick. No, I love that series. I've only because I mean they've they were so prolific with that, and I mm-hmm. only know two percent of the names, and so sometimes yeah. I'll just randomly click on oh this you know whatever um, exactly so that that's sick James Zoo yeah so good all right so let's uh let's go back to. Chico Hamilton. So the song's El Moors uh, by Chico Hamilton off the album El Chico from 1965. And uh, let me just play it and then we'll talk about it. It starts off with a melody on the drums. That's sick. Yeah. I have no idea where the one is. <laughs> Actually, I, I don't either, but I think that's okay. Yeah, no, it is okay. doing a percussion on that track is like him and chico together they kind of have like this really beautiful language together it's like it's really hard it's it's yeah i don't know that 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 shit just hits me in the soul um Mm -hmm. yeah chico like i have like i i went to the new school uh in manhattan and he was one of my teachers there oh and I didn't realize, I mean, like we had a really good relationship actually. And, and, uh, he was always just trying to get me to like, I don't know, try harder. And I was, I was just having like a really rough time in school. And, you know, even when I dropped out of school, he was like, Hey man, like, you know, we could try and figure something out. Like, come on, you don't have to leave, you know, that sort of thing. So like, I didn't realize, um, and you know, at the time, you know, like I knew who he was, I knew he was like a, a person that was, you know, like really influential in like the jazz scene, especially at the time. Uh, he was the first, first person to have like a cello in his small group and, you know, he wrote all these kind of like semi-orchestral pieces, um, very influenced by like classical music. Um, he's the concert Tom man. He like he's like I don't oh. know if you know. He I think he's like one of the first dudes to do concert toms because uh, because he just didn't want to get new drum heads, so he would just <laughs> switch them out from the bottom. Like when he told me that, it was hilarious. Um, but smart then man. At the, yeah, dude, he's very smart. Yeah, and then uh, you know, like I didn't understand 
how deep he was until like way after he passed, you know? And like, I found out like years later, like, you know, like he passed away. I heard about it like maybe like a couple months later, but I didn't like, I went back and looked and he passed away on my birthday. You know, like it was like, you know, it's like one of those things where I'm like, dude, like, you know, like he's had such a big influence on my life. Yeah. Uh, but even more of an influence after he's passed away. Cause I've just been like when he passed away, I just started digging into all his music and being like, oh man, you literally were doing something that nobody's really ever done. And then you have just like been this crazy innovator within a style of music that was already full of innovators at the time, you know? Yeah. And then also like, you know, he was like Sarah Vaughn's drummer forever, you know, like so like he knew how to play with a singer, like all the, all that stuff, you know, even how he talked about swing. Like one of my favorite things, he was like, you know, you just got to make that groove and just make it shop, Baba Dop. And I was like, I was like, at the time, I was like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, you know, you know, 18 year old you is just like, what are you? This old dude doesn't know what the what he's talking about. I'm paying a lot of money for shop Baba Dop. Exactly. But then like you when you really I'm like I'm still working on most of the things that he's told me. Like in any of our lessons and like just like in private conversations, I'm still working on mo- actually I'm working on it more now. I like forgot about most of it until maybe uh maybe a few years ago, you know? Uh but yeah, he I kind of implore anybody, like not only as a drummer, but composer and just like every, like he's so deep. It's crazy. Um, what, what was the class he taught at, at, at school? He just, he just taught like my first class with him was basic rhythm. <laughs> you know, it was okay. like, you know, it was just like, yeah, because like, you know, before I was in school, I didn't do anything school related with music. It was just like, oh yeah, I grew up sort of in church uh not not in the same way as a lot of other people I, I, my my family's from panama uh my parents are spanish pentecostal pastors so it's not like gospel stuff it's like it's like kind of like afro-caribbean music it's different and then what you got i grew up playing in church that way and then like played in a hardcore screamo hard whatever band and then went to school for jazz after taking like four lessons with Ari Honig, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, like, so I didn't have the same language as most of the people that I went to school who like by that point had been in jazz band for like most of their, um, high school lives, you know? And, and especially, and for me, I definitely wasn't that in that zone, even though like I had grown up like going to smalls and checking out what you got like uh eric mcpherson play and whatever because i grew up in new york so like i had access to all that stuff but i definitely was trying to be more of a fucking hardcore kid than i was trying to be i was trying to, yeah straight edge give me my x's on my arms you know but <laughs> yeah 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 but uh yeah weirdly you know think thinking about it now i'm just like oh yeah like did i like my my life would have taken a crazy different trajectory had my band not broken up and had I not met Chico, you know, or or had I not met Rachel Z, who like when I quit school, like begged me to come back and like keep playing music after like I sold all my instruments, you know, it's like like stuff like that. It's like like I I would still be on Warp Tour now, even though that's like not not necessarily a bad thing, you know, like. What you got? 
I, I you know I, I recently played on Haley Williams record and that was one of my favorite recording experiences that I've ever had that has nothing to do with you know I wouldn't have been able to be on that record if I didn't step away from that world Haley I, I love her and I love Taylor who produced the record I love everyone who's on a record and actually the funny thing is that like me making that record is kind of what built out my Nashville friend circle oh um, awesome uh, because before that I was like, I live in this place. I don't know anybody. Everything's kind of weird, but I'm really happy to live here. Uh, and then what you got, I made that record and basically all my really close friends are, are from making that album, um, in some sort of way, you know? Yeah. The, all the, all the friends in my life that are like my ride or dies are musicians. Um, yeah. Once you're in the trenches with someone <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. and you're both having the red light syndrome and you look over at each other, you're like, are we friends for life now? I think we are. Joey, jo Joey, the bass player on that record is like one of he, like, oh, where we are. We are inseparable. <laughs> Dude, he is. So is he the one who is playing on Haley's uh, Tiny Desk series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is an insane bass player. Oh, my He's God. So good. Yeah. Uh, but he played on that record and 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 he wrote most of those songs with her, too. So that, that makes sense. That makes sense. That guy's damn <laughs> so good. So good. Lit like, man, like you can hear like this is goes back to my intention thing. Like you can hear his intention. You could hear him like you could hear the way that he dances in the way that he play ba plays bass. Like you may not be able to visualize it but like once you see it you're just like oh yeah that's that dude that's mm. the dude who's playing bass like sure ah, so good his personality comes through i love it that's sick yeah uh, I'll, I'll also drop that in the show notes the tiny desk series uh that Haley put out earlier this year um sick <laughs> yeah. uh so going back to chico real real quick it is Go cool ahead, yeah. when uh you have someone who is so talented but can also communicate well as a teacher because that's yeah. uh that's that's few and far between yeah that's that's a big rarity i don't um like i i i haven't had um i've i've taken lessons with the, quite a bit of people but like i haven't had somebody who chico's definitely one of them that like i really go back to what they have told me constantly in my life like the people that the, the there are more people that I've just like met randomly, like uh, I.e. Mark Stepro or like Pelton that I never took lessons with. They were just like people who I was just hanging out with who I admired, and they said something they just dropped something. But uh, but what you got Chico is definitely um, definitely like one of those people that he could somehow he could totally express what the thing that he wanted you to know what it was. Like he, he had a way of teaching that was just, um, it was, it was never like you're doing it wrong. He was just like, in time, you'll figure it out. You know, that was in, in the, the, I mean, you know, for the fact that somebody who's that legendary and me not realize it at the time, but that person who's like super legendary and then like not, and, and that person believe in me <laughs> is like, that's crazy to me, you know, because he's seen everything, you know? Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate that that impression and that memory of him was juxtaposed with your experience with school that you've talked about, where they basically were just like, we don't we don't invest in people that we don't see happening, and to have that 
being told from the administrators, but then Chico is, is just believes in you so much and seems like such an amazing mentor. That, that must have been a, like a mind fuck. Yeah, it really didn't make any sense to me. And also, like, you know, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody should ever have their school tell them that, that they're not good enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, like, that, that creates long-term trauma in, in a lot of people. I mean, I know it did for me you know um but that being said you know like what you got like if it wasn't for me leaving school if it wasn't for like my experience with chico at the time and uh however brief it was um and if it wasn't for like all my experiences that happened after that i wouldn't be where i am now and i wouldn't be the person who i am now which i'm very grateful to be so like you know not to say that i'm like the best I'm not hot shit or anything but it's more of like man I'm really proud of where I came from I never I never would have thought I I am where I am now like I I didn't I mean you know like I didn't the fact that like I got to I get to play music with people who I think are incredible plus uh some people who have ended up who have been heroes and now are like really good friends uh and then I get to just like call up like people who have influenced me more than anything. The fact that I can do that, I, I never, you, if you told me, like, if you told 12 year old Aaron that he was going to be living like, uh, like, oh, I'm going to own a house in Nashville and what you got, tour the world with artists from various musical backgrounds. I would have been like, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about? Come on, man. You know, like I'm never leaving the block, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's fine, you know, but, but I'm, I'm so grateful for everything that has happened and it, and including, including the school, uh, being shitty <laughs> because like I wouldn't have been here if that didn't happen. Sure. You know? Yeah, there's always a there's a question that I often ask, and it's like a favorite failure. But it seems that like you've had a bunch of favorite failures. Oh. That uh, yeah, as long as you continue, just keep trudging forward with honesty and integrity for your instrument. Uh, things are always going to work out, for the most part. I don't want to yeah, blanket a bunch. Of, I mean, yeah, you know, I was <laughs> you having also a get hit by a car, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was having a conversation recently with a friend of mine who I won't mention, but uh, but uh, he's a he's a he has a band and you know whatever and there was a moment that um we're really we're really close now and he was telling me how like there was a moment where i was going to be in the band and and then i did the auditions i didn't end up in the band and i was all butthurt about it um and then you know year whatever years later we're talking on the phone and he's like and i'm and i work on stuff with uh him and and the band often in the studio and he told me he's like man i don't look at you as a drummer i look at you as like a weird mu musical creature and you probably would have been stuck you probably would have been bored doing what we do but actually in reality like i probably would have been so content doing what we what they were doing that I wouldn't have tried to do anything else. And then like, I wouldn't have been able to go where I've gone in my life since then, which at this point has been years removed since that situation. And 
I'm so happy that I didn't end up in that group. Not because of anything uh, against them. Actually, I love them. But that that being said, it uh, it changed my life. It, it opened a trajectory that I, even though I thought at the moment it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing, it was actually exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough when those those ego uh, you know reminders get you. I know even if yeah. you have kind of the overarching you know, perspective in hindsight, it's, it's fucking tough, you know, when you are denied something you think, uh, that you thought you were good enough for, you know, or you're or like something that you think is owed to you. Like, exactly. you know, it's like, you know, I mean, nothing's owed to you people. I'm just letting you all know nothing is owed <laughs> yeah. to you. And yeah. even if you work hard, you still might not get stuff, but create things, Create things out of the things that you don't have. <laughs> like I don't know how else to say that. Yeah. Just keep keep being as honest. Like I, I, I mean, if I if if people told me stuff like that when I was younger, like I would I would, I would be so happy. Like I I just want to let people know. Just do, just keep being yourself and trust your friends. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like you know, I wouldn't be anywhere if I didn't have my friends. <laughs> And be there for your friends. Yes, I mean. Oh my um, God, one thousand percent. I and I know you've you've talked about this, but I play in the band Eve Six, and for the first two months of me playing in the band, which is not that long ago, three and a half years yeah. ago, I was I was sleeping on a friend's couch, and everyone's like, "Dude, you blah blah blah." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm in the band that you recognize now, but I'm st- I'm still looking for a place, and yeah, I'm exactly. on the couch." So it's like it's, and that 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 friend, uh, yeah, I owe him a lot. So. No, exactly. There's I have a friend named Mark Anselm who I mean, you know, I mean, he he put me up for a while while I was trying to figure out my stuff. I mean, I I was, you know, and then even at certain points I was I was basically homeless for a while and sure. and and him and a few other people, but he 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 was the one that kept me uh like alive for a good second and I owe so much to him. It's crazy. Thank you, Mark. Even though I don't think you're going to hear this, but thank you so much. I think what a lot of people need to hear too is allow people to help you. I think that's a, that's a big thing for me is I sometimes think, no, the starving artist, the, you know, the miserable, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if people want to help you out, accept that shit. Yeah. uh, I mean, what you got starving. I I mean, uh, um, there is a trope that the starving artist trope is a thing. Yes. But it's just because, um, uh, people aren't as people aren't as honest with themselves until they're in dire situations. Um, the the truth of it is that you just have to be as honest with yourself as possible always, and then you'll be able to make art whenever. Because like, uh, and that's the only that's the only reason that the starving artist is is a trope. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, all right, so next one, I believe the last one. So it's going to be Anasik Modular, if I pronounce Ooh, that right. Yes. It's uh, that uh, that's the song. The band is Floating Points, and the album's Crush from 2019. And I'm just going to re I'm just going to read what you wrote. So it's the synths swell to as big as they can, and the beat is staying very chill to the synth drop. So I'm going to start it at around 1:45, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll just go from there.
Yeah. I want I want to make a mashup of just all the all the uh, <laughs> excited <laughs> sounds you're making. Yeah. Dude, man, I mean, yeah. I mean, Floating Points is uh is uh he's he's one of my favorite modern uh, electronic producers. I mean, uh I I believe he just put out a record with Pharaoh Sanders. Um and I've actually been like kind of holding off on listening to it because I've had a few friends tell me that they they've like listened to it and they had to like um give themselves like 10 minutes of silence afterwards because it was like so spiritual and I was like oh sh-. I was like oh man uh I need to give myself a, like a, a space to like listen to it without doing anything else uh so that's uh that's what I'm planning on doing but he he um I've been listening to him for a long time since like 2009 or something like that but this uh one of the things that I love about him in general is that the way that he shapes shapes everything but uh the way drums happen in his tracks are are um yeah it's a little sometimes it's a little crazy like how do you how do you create that texture um how do you how do you emulate that on an acoustic kit you know and at least for me like uh, that that is something that I like at least uh, at a certain point I was working on quite a bit and it wasn't and how do I use that in other contexts is not it's not electronic music you know um, which is you know um, yeah I mean um, and, and I work really I actually kind of like most of the thing that people hire me for now, which is kind of strange, is basically they're like, oh, you just make stuff kind of like weird and, and kind of left. And I'm just like, I'm literally just pulling from other musical styles and putting it into this style, but with different sounds in order to fit the thing that we're doing, you know? And I, mean, I think don't don't play that down. I mean, you do it very well. You know, you, uh-huh. you you said the word just in front of it, but I would say that some people would try a long time to do what you do well. I I, I appreciate that, but I, I, I well, I mean, I think that one of the things is that just um, more often than not, I realize that, and and this, this is kind of a, a a recent realization, is that people, um, a lot of drummers or or musicians in general don't listen to a lot of music outside of what they want to be doing. Um, and that's not the point of music, you know? Like, I feel like even, you know, for example, like, I love electronic music. And I and I have toured with some electronic artists, and I really love doing that thing. Um, I don't choose the music that I'm playing based on genre. I choose the music I play based on if I think it's a good song or if the artist is doing something special, um, uh, that's, that's sort of how I choose stuff. So it's not, it's never based on, oh yeah, I really like when I, when I started playing with Portugal, it wasn't like, oh yeah, like I love rock music. I haven't done a rock thing in a while. I want to play with a rock band. I was like, I was like, no, Portugal, like when I got, I got, got that call, Portugal's like one of my was one of my favorite bands back in the day. Like it was it was definitely one of those things where like I was like, yeah, of course I'll do that. Like it, like I love that band. But like then at the same time, like I was touring with this guy Peter Bradley Adams for a long time. Uh, he's like a uh, really quiet songwriter dude. And like the reason that I played with him was because like 
his music spoke to me and I felt like I could be as creative. I felt like it was one, actually one of the more creative gigs that I could do because there's any choice I made in the music was drastic. Like it, it had to be because any note that I played was, a, was a huge choice because the music was so quiet and soft and slow that any choice has huge implications for like what, the emotional weight of the song is going to be so like that like though like but like because his songs were so good I didn't have to worry about it too much all I had to do was like okay I just have to be present and I have to create whatever um emotional context this song needs you know I don't know but that, that that's uh I, I, I hope that 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 makes sense with <laughs> the floating point situation. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, that's, that's great. If you want to play a certain genre, don't like if folk rock, say you love the band real estate or something. It's like, don't just go and listen to Laurel Canyon stuff. Listen to floating points and see what you can bring into a singer songwriter yeah. gig, yeah. you know, and like um, rhythms and, or just arrangement stuff, what they're doing. Oh, man. Draw, you know, that, it's, I feel like that's one of the biggest things. It's like, when people, uh, what makes what makes uh, what makes a musician valuable? Uh, like like this is a question that I think of often. And the only thing that makes a musician valuable really is their ears. Like because like you could play all of the licks all day. But if you don't know how to use that stuff in context, I mean, licks kind of suck in general. I'm sorry, guys. Everyone, licks suck. You could practice that stuff all day, and it's just going to get come out as like vomit over the thing that you're doing. The thing that you have to like practice, I guess, is not is not really licks. It's more and, and this is this is just my opinion, like I said, I'm no expert, but um, it's practice how to speak on your instrument, how to get your point across, how to pull the emotion out of the one snare drum note. Like, how do you do that? And I can't do that totally yet, but I've been working on it for a long time. And I feel like that's the only thing that really gives me value in a pop. Like I, like I work in, primarily in pop music and and the fact, like, people are just like, you know, most of a lot of people that I hear in, in this, in the same space that I am in, like, they don't think about things similar to me, which is okay. That doesn't bother me. But, um, but it definitely gives it a, a different weight. And I'm not saying that, like, my, the weight that I'm imposing on it is more or less, but it gives it a different feeling every point of view is valid that's that's like and but you have to like understand that and like understand what you bring to the table i love that and yeah. i yeah and that what i bring to the table is that i i care a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's a know. good opinion yeah i don't i don't know how else i don't know how else to you know say that but it's tr i mean it's just kind of true <laughs> uh well aaron um i i think i've taken up enough of your time and i think you've given enough people uh, are people enough little sound bites that will probably mean just as much to them as Marks did and Chico's did to you. Uh, so thanks for thanks for uh, hanging out, man. 
Oh, dude, of course. Uh, I'm always trying to talk to people, especially after COVID. <laughs> I do. I know. This is the most, inter- I mean, I'm forced to like have a new interaction with someone once a week and it's, it's been a, it's been a godsend. Oh man, that's so good. Um, yeah, man. Well, what you got? Thanks for having me on. And, uh, I hope, uh, anybody has, uh, has got i hope everybody's gotten something out of this i guarantee they have and re- real quick i mean do you i know that your uh dave mckay thing just just came out today but um is there anything else that you do want to do some uh some promotion on just to get people's uh awareness out yeah uh I- i'm i'm get- probably going to be putting out a oh, probably i'm saying this uh, very tentatively but it's happening. I'm putting out a single at the end of next month. Um, it uh, it's gonna be called. Well, uh, I'm not even gonna tell you the name. But what you got? Uh, what you got? Uh, yeah, I'm putting out a single at the end of next month. So keep a lookout for that. And uh, of just like my own, uh, I'm putting out a. After that, a, a little EP might be coming out. Uh, uh, you know, into the summer, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just keep a lookout on, I guess, my Instagram and there's definitely, I'll definitely be talking about it there. Cool. Uh, all right, man. Well, I will put all this in the show notes and it was, yeah, it was great talking to you, man. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I will, I will let you go, but we'll let's, yeah, let's, let's chat soon, dude. All right. Talk to you soon, dude. All right. See you, man. Bye. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 audio editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at isotope.com. Bye.